So uh, this is uh, Labor Day weekend, and um, as you can see, some people were able to uh, find uh, some fun ways to enjoy themselves. And then there's the good Christians who came today. So uh. Now I want to warn you, don't lord it over them when they come back next week, okay? So... Um, all right, so uh, Labor Day is traditionally uh, the day we, we mark the end of summer. You see the, the bulletin, they, they were thinking already along those lines, fall's coming, start getting those golden hues and so forth. But as a newcomer to Alaska, the thought of summer ending is just too depressing for me to think about. So I'm going to actually talk about labor today. So uh, here it is, Labor Day weekend, I'm going to talk about labor. I want to talk about what does what does our faith teach us about labor? Um, I... Uh, uh, had a, um, I, I had a, um, uh, an occasion a couple of years ago to, to do some prison ministry, and one of the strange things I discovered when I talked to people in the prison, um, they would all answer kind of in the same way. I would, I would be talking to them and they'd say, well, I get out in three and a half years, or I've got eight years left to do, or something like that. And the funny thing is, it didn't matter whether you were talking to one of the inmates or one of the corrections officers or social workers, they all would talk in the same terms. I get out in three and a half years. Some of them um, leave every night, but then they come back. But they all had this idea that they were trapped in this place, and they were looking forward to the day they could leave. And I thought that that was really strange, um, because I've, I've never seen a job that way. I've had jobs that I didn't like. Um, I, had a, I had a job once. As a software developer, uh, projects are kind of like an accordion, right? And so when the hardware people take too long with their piece, it kind of squeezes the software people's piece, right? So this is, I'm sure they've got their own story, but this is the software developer's story. So our piece would always get shrunk. And one day a team leader came in and was telling us how bad things had, you know, and we've got to be done on time, and and yet things got worse. And we're all sitting in the room groaning, oh, you know, you can't, you know, I'm dying, you know, you're killing us here. And he said, well, you know, when I came in this morning, there wasn't a booth outside and no one was selling admission. Okay, this is a job and you get paid to come in here. Okay, and so we all kind of settled down a little bit after that because the fact is, uh, even if we don't see our job as a prison that we will get out of in a couple of years with good behavior, we probably have all had the occasion to say, well, this this isn't the happiest day of my work working career. So so what does our faith have to say about, about work? Um in, in the book of Genesis, it says um, uh, two things about work, and I'm just going to uh, touch on them here, if I can find the page. Um, I marked it. It's page two. Um, so, so in the book of Genesis, in chapter two, uh, we read that, that God put the man in the garden, and he said, he said, uh, the Lord God commanded the man, um, uh, sorry, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to till it and keep it. So, um, in, in the days of man's innocence, uh, God gave us work to do. But then a chapter later, after the fall, God says this. He, t- he tells the man, he says, um, because you ate the fruit, um, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Um, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. So God is kind of more like uh, my, my team leader who said, you know, there's no, there's no ticket booth here. Um, uh, it's going to be work. It used to be, well, I don't know. I don't know what it was like in the garden because we can't imagine what paradise was really like. It was better than it was later. That's all we know. Um, God gave them work to do, but after the fall, it became a curse. It became toil. It became burdensome. So, so, so that's what we read in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see 
a passage as much like the one we heard today, uh, mostly talking to people saying, you know, if you don't like the work your master gives you, well, tough. Um, uh, uh, suck it up and and, uh, and and do it anyway. And that's a good thing because at, at a bare minimum, even if they are cruel, you'll be making a good witness. So the, the question I've got today as we think about labor is, is that it? Is that all that the faith has to teach us about work, that it's going to be toilsome and we should treat it as an opportunity to be martyrs, uh, to be witnesses, to show people um, uh, that we're Christians and, and we can take it, or, or that with God's help we can take it. Well, obviously, I don't think that that's all that the faith has to say, because the truth of the matter is most of us are not slaves. Uh, we may feel that way some days. You've probably seen the bumper sticker, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Um, uh, we, we've all been in a situation where I would just as soon sleep in today, but I guess I'll go to work. But we're not slaves. Um, some of us uh, maybe have debt that makes us feel even more like slaves than others, but but the reality is most of us have options. Most of us are in a position where we get to choose what kind of work we, we're going to be doing. We've got at least some input into it. So I want to read this story today from um, from uh, the book of Nehemiah. It is a fascinating story. Um, it's truly a page-turner. You know, you, Nehemiah is not one of the books people's Bibles fall open to, but... Um, but it is a great story. There's adventure and intrigue, and um, and it's short. So let me just encourage you. We're only going to look at a couple of verses of it today. But if it if it strikes your fancy, let me just encourage you to read it. It's a it's a fascinating book. So um, uh, Nehemiah. To set this up, Nehemiah is the governor of a Persian province uh, called Judea. Uh, that is the Holy Land. And what had happened is uh, to to make this quick. Uh, Israel got conquered about 150 years ago by Babylon. Okay, and all of the, everybody who wasn't basically a subsistence farmer got deported off to Babylon. So anybody who had any kind of a skill at all, um, uh, got sent to Babylon, and they've been there for 150 years, something like that. About 50 years later, 50 to 70 years later, Babylon, kind of the worm turns and what goes around comes around, Babylon got conquered. Uh, it got conquered by Persia. And the new Persian emperor lets the Jews go home. He says, you can go home. And some of them did and some of them didn't. The ones that went home found that it was in ruins. It still was in ruins because the Babylonians had pretty much destroyed everything when they conquered it. So um, some of them stayed. Nehemiah is one of the people who stayed. Well, he didn't stay, but his grandparents or whatever. They stayed in, in Babylon, and that's where he's been. He grew up there. And he's got a plum job now. He is a top civil servant in the court of the Persian king. But he hears these reports coming from home, or his his ancestor's home. Jerusalem is in ruins, and he says that's a shame. He thinks that that's a terrible thing, that Jerusalem is a mess. So he goes to his boss, he goes to his king, and says, says I've got a plan, can I have some time off? And his, his boss, the king, says, sure. And he ends up taking 12 years off. And so, so, um, so he gets 12 years off to go rebuild Jerusalem. And that's where we're at. He's in the process of rebuilding Jerusalem. Now you'd think he's got a title, he's the governor, he's got a budget, the, the king specifically said you can have lumber and so forth to build to build the gates. And he's got authority. So you'd think everything would be fine. But he's got opposition. And we don't really learn much about them. We learn their names, Sanballat and Tobiah and uh, Geshem the Arabian. And so we learn some of these uh, people we don't really get a lot of insight as to why they're upset with this. We just know that they're opposed to this effort. So he calls them his enemies. 
So it says, when it, when it was reported to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab um, uh, that I had built the wall and there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So he's nearly done. We're at the home stretch here. He's got all the linear stretches, and now all he's got to do is finish the various gates of the town. When he does that, then you'll be able to uh, to rebuild the the ruins in the interior. No one wants to do that as long as uh, you know marauders can pass through and steal stuff. So once they've got gates, they'll be able to actually rebuild the interior of Jerusalem as well. So they're nearly there, and Sanballat and Geshem sins and say, "Let's meet together. Let's have a meeting. We'll work out our differences." And why don't you do that? And he says, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? And they don't take no for an answer. They say, no, why don't you come down and talk to us? And he says, no, I'm doing a great work and so forth. Back and forth four times, they say, come and do this. And he says, no, I'm doing a great work. I can't stop. And the fifth time, instead of sending him an invitation, they send him a threat. It's an open letter we read. It says, in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter. That means it's not sealed. This is for everybody to know. And the reason is pretty clear. He says, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. In other words, we've all heard this. And the reason we've all heard this is because we've been telling this. Okay, We've been spreading a rumor that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. You know, Once you've got some fortifications, you'll be able to have a revolt and then you'll set yourself up as the king of of Judea, and then the Persians will be upset with you. So he says, according to this report, you wish to become their king. He says, um, uh, now it will re- be reported to the king according to these words. And even if it weren't, now it will because we left our letter unsealed. So this is a very open threat. Okay, do what we tell you or things will go badly for you. You better get us on your side because the king's going to be upset with you pretty quick, as quickly as we can arrange. And he says... No such things as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. They they want to frighten them, but not just so that they are afraid, you know, not just to see them sweat, because they want to stop the work. This is their last chance to stop the work. And so he prays, Now, O God, strengthen my hands. So, that's... Uh, where, where we're gonna leave Nehemiah. And again, I do encourage you to look it over. It's a, it's a great story. But, um, but what does this teach us? What does this tell us about the kind of work we do? We're not slaves. Uh, we have some options. Um, and so the question is, suppose we like our job, or at least we like it some days. Suppose we think our job is important. What does this tell us about work? Well, it says a lot of stuff, but I'm gonna try and condense it down into one sentence. I think what it says is to find a great work and do it with God's help. Find a great work and do it with God's help. Find a great work and do it with God's help. So what, what do I mean by that? Find a great work. Well, Nehemiah found a great work. Now remember, Nehemiah is one of the top civil servants in, in the Persian Empire. He's the cupbearer to the king. He's got daily access to the king. He's in a position of trust and responsibility. He's the kind of guy when he asks for time off, the king gives him 12 years. Okay, that's a pretty good deal. Okay, um, you know he's he's got some real real authority, some real clout, and um, he hears this story about how how um, there's problems back in his ancestral homeland, and he says that would be a good work. He's it's not going to pay as much. It's going to come with some problems, 
right? I'll be away from the political intrigue of the capital, so I won't be able to, to manage my, my, you know, backside here. But it's a great work. And so he asks for a demotion. He says, send me away from the capital off to this nowhere province that's in ruins. And the king says, all right, whatever you want. If that's what you like, I'll do it. So find a great work. Notice it doesn't say a holy work. Because he's not doing holy work. He's not rebuilding the temple. He's not doing anything particularly holy. He's building a wall around a town full of ruins. So people will feel safe investing their effort in rebuilding the ruins. That's all he's doing. Now it's true he does some good deeds, okay? Uh, in the previous chapter, he organizes a food drive for, for the poor because everybody's working. And so the subsistence farmers don't have enough food. So he organizes a way so that everybody can get fed. So he's doing some good deeds along the way, but that's not all he's doing. He's shopping for lumber. He's, uh, he's organizing, a, um, uh, the palace household. He, there's a paragraph, a couple of paragraphs in there where he's explaining how he does all that. Um, and he even organizes the, the garrison. He brings some troops with him. Um, and, uh, because of these threats with, uh, these threats that come from, uh, Sanballat and, um, Tobiah, he organizes a kind of a civil defense, uh, system where when they're doing the work, uh, half the people have spears and the other half have, have stones and they're laying in the wall. And the reason is because they don't know if any minute they're going to get attacked by these adversaries of theirs. So it's not like he's like saying prayers all day long. He's doing ordinary work, feeding people, uh, organizing, you know, kind of the bureaucracy of this palace. He's, he's organizing the military. He's doing ordinary work. So it's great work. But it's not necessarily holy work. It's just work. And that fits in with our theology of work. We believe that Jesus did great work, even when he was a carpenter. Okay? The fact that he did greater work later doesn't change the fact that Jesus did great work. We believe that if, if, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. There's nothing special. We don't have an idea that there's special holy work and then, and then, uh, ordinary, um, uh, w- earthly work. That whatever God is calling you to do, that's good work. That's why the apostle can say to slaves, do your work as if Jesus told you to do it instead of your master. He's saying, anything you do can be holy work. So don't find a holy work. Don't quit your job and go get a, you know, start preaching or something like that. Or if you do, at least talk to me first. Um, uh, I can give you some tips. Um, but find a great work. Find a work that is worthy of your God-given talents. Uh, and maybe for a lot of us, it will find you. It has a way of doing that. Um, it may be that the work that God wants you to do right now is not to take on additional work where you get paid for it, but to come home for dinner. It could be that the great work that God wants you to be involved in is to be more involved in your family, to tuck in your kids more nights of the week. It could be that God wants you to have less retirement and more grandparenting. The great work may not be a work that anybody outside your house knows you're doing. It may not be work you get paid for. It may be work you volunteer on weekends. Okay, But find a work, a great work, something that is worthy of your talents the way Nehemiah did. Find a great work and then do it. I love the passage where Nehemiah is told, hey, come do this thing. Let's, let's have a meeting together. Let's, 
anybody who's had a who's had a one meeting too many kind of wouldn't you love to tell that you know it's like we're going to have the all hands meeting this this day or you know we got a we got a offsite meeting where we're just going to stand around and do nothing useful wouldn't it be great to say to say i am doing a great work and cannot come down i love that nehemiah says that i think i think everybody um has been tempted to say something like that from time to time he does that's what sets him apart. He says, I'm doing something important and I'm not going to be drawn away from it. I'm not going to be delayed. I'm not going to be distracted and I'm not going to be intimidated. Now, you say, well, I don't know any Sanballat. I don't know any, I don't know any Geshem the Arabian. I don't know these people. Nobody's, nobody's trying to kill me. Well, it may be true that you, you don't have any opponents like that, but, um, you remember the, the cartoon Pogo, right? What's, what's Pogo remembered for today? One line in one comic strip. Uh, 40, 50 years ago. It's, we have met the enemy and he is us. Right? Our sand ballot, our Geshem the Arabian, may be the guy who stares back at us from the bedroom, uh, from the bathroom mirror. Okay, how often are we our own undoing? Where the reason that we fail is because we conjure up our own reasons to fail. We're the ones who come up with the delaying t- t- tactics. We're the ones who talk ourselves out of it. We're the naysayers. So find a great work and then do it. Do it with God's help. He finishes this this passage by saying, they wanted our hands... They, they, the, the bad guys, uh, Sanballat and the others, they wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work. And so he prays, Lord, strengthen my hands. You see, he doesn't pray, Lord... Strengthen my spine. He needs courage. But courage by itself is not enough. He says, Lord, help me do the work. Help me get it done. If you're doing a great work and you don't need God's help to get it done, then it's probably not a great work. Really. If you don't need to lean into God to get your work done, then it's probably not a great work. And I I say that aware of all the things I do that are not great works. The work of God, the the work of the believer is to trust God and to do things that can only be done with God's help. So, if you're doing something right now and you don't need to pray that prayer, strengthen my hands, then aim a little higher. Come up with something a little more ambitious. Nehemiah teaches us that we should he said, and then brain freeze. Um, the, uh, the lesson here, the lesson from this part of Nehemiah is that we should find a great work. It may not be obvious, it may be perfectly obvious, but find a great work, a work worthy of our talents, and then do it. Don't be gainsay, don't be delayed, don't be intimidated. Do it with God's help. Lean into it. Lean into it and lean on God as you go about it. If you're a slave, you don't have those choices. If you're a slave then do what your master tells you and show him that God will help you do that too. But if you've got choices, if you've got the opportunity to decide what you do, find a great work and do it with God's help. Thanks be to God. Amen.